Hello, and welcome back to Lost in Citations, our regular podcast where we speak to the producers of interesting content and see if we can learn a little bit more about their background. This week's episode finds us on the campus, the beautiful campus of Sojo University in Kumamoto. And we're going to be speaking to conference participants about uh, what they are presenting on, or if they are not presenting, on their research interests and anything that might be coming soon from them uh, in the near future. So, as usual, uh, we hope you enjoy this content. So, without further ado, here we go. Okay, so you find us here with uh, Luc uh, Goujon, is that the correct That's pronunciation? Right. Luc Goujon, yes. And uh, you work here at Sojo University? Yes, I'm a new teacher at Sojo University. And before we started uh, the interview, you were telling me about your PhD. So you're not presenting here today, but I assume that your uh, research is uh, pertinent to um, language or the work that you're doing here. So could you give us a little introduction to it? Yeah, somehow, somehow pertinent to language. Uh, I'm the tech guy. I'm finishing a PhD at the Tokyo Institute of Technology and my field of research is uh, programming for children. So in Japan they will introduce programming, they already introduced in 2020, and I'm mostly interested in teacher training. So training teachers to be able to use technology. And what did your project entail? Um, was, it, was it on the, the training or did it include them working with children? I mostly surveyed uh, elementary school teachers in their schools and I visited about 40 board of educations uh, around Kyushu and in Okayama, Hiroshima. So I'm talking to teachers, talking to principals, understanding what they have to deal with every day when they have to teach a new topic they don't know much about. And spoiler alert, do you have any results that you can share? Well, they were not ready, but uh, it's getting better. And since the pandemic happened, they deployed the computers in every classroom. So right now in Japan, they have actually the technology available. The next challenge will be to train the teacher to use it. And are you intending to be part of that training? Or is that something that uh, you're going to have to offshore to the education department? As an English teacher, I have access also to the computer science department and we are collaborating right now to eventually organize workshops where we will welcome educators. Uh, we have pretty state-of-the-art department and facilities so they will be welcome to come here and train with us and uh, we will also uh, get the students to help. So as a kind of like conclusion to this, for the people who are listening, what would be uh, a piece of advice that would help them in the use of technology that many people don't know about? Uh, something that a lot of foreign teachers do, uh, the community of practice, they will go on Facebook groups. If you find uh, Japanese teachers who speak a little bit of English, maybe invite them to join one of these community, like uh, Online Teaching Japan, for example. That would be good one, yeah. So Online Teaching Japan on, on Facebook? Yes. Yeah. And why, how would that how would that help them? What, what kind of resources are connected to that? Well, they'll find the latest things that's happening in technology, plus they'll have people they can reach out to. So if they need help with Moodle, there's a lot of people who can help them with Moodle, for example. They can ask questions. Okay, well, thank you very much, Luke, and um, good luck with uh, the uh, conference today. I hope it goes well. Thank you. Have a good presentation.
Uh, so you find us here with uh, Rachel Matsushita from Sojo University. Uh, very nice to speak to you today. Yes, nice to speak to you as well. So you're organizing this conference. Has it been a difficult thing to organize, particularly you know, with all the restrictions and things that you have to make sure that people are safe in the middle of this pandemic? I suppose the the pandemic stuff is more of an annoyance, really, than a than and than a hardship. Um, the hard part about organizing this particular conference is we haven't had it for three years. And while I've organized it in the past, uh, three years is a long time to forget things. <laughs> so kind of reacquainting myself with the process of organizing and and um, and, and giving people things to do has been a little bit challenging. <laughs> So we, we've talked to people at other conferences like at JALT and Lakeland International. And the question I like to ask to organizers is what is kind of like the biggest challenge? What is, you know, participants, what is something that participants don't know about your job? What What's the thing that co- takes most of your time? Uh, probably anticipating problems. I think when you attend a conference, uh, speaking from my own personal experience when I attend a conference I don't really think about the background because I'm kind of focused on just enjoying the day and you know seeing some good presentations and such Uh, but when you're organizing it you have to really plan ahead and try and think of what could go wrong particularly like our conference today which is a hybrid conference there's a lot of uh, tech related issues that can happen so just anticipating those is probably the most challenging thing that maybe people don't think about and what percentage of your participants are participating online is it 50 50 60 40 oh very few actually most of our participants are participating face to face which is nice um i think maybe for presenters of the 23 i think presenters that we have today uh three of those are presenting online um so a very small percentage Uh, and are there any presentations that you are looking forward to seeing today do you have that chance like what's your what's your area of interest (laughs) my area of interest is uh, I do a lot uh, with content development uh, and conversation strategies um, because I do focus on communication classes mostly so uh, I do mostly like discourse analysis of uh, students speaking recordings and seeing if they're using various strategies that we go through in the classroom um, I don't know that anyone's presenting on that particular area today. Uh, I think there's a lot of tech-related stuff that looks very interesting. I hope I get the chance to watch some, but we'll see. <laughs> and uh, obviously for people who are listening to this, they didn't come to the conference. But do you have a sales pitch for uh, people who should come back when you do the uh, conference next year? Like, why is uh, Sojo a good place to have a conference? Well, I can understand if you're coming from a long distance why it wouldn't be much of a draw, but this conference is great, I think, for the folks that live down here in Kyushu, for whom going to a conference in Tokyo or like Ibaraki or places like that is much more time-consuming and challenging, Um, whereas, you know, Kumoto is very central within Kyushu. So if you're you're based down here, uh, I think it's a great opportunity. Um, But of course, we love it when people from anywhere would like to come. Uh, yeah, I think that's... Well, thank you very much, uh, Rachel, and uh, I hope that none of the problems that you have prepared for come up and everything goes very, very smoothly. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) I hope so, too. (laughs) So you find us here with uh, Davis uh, Shum, who is from Kyushu Sangyo University. Very nice to meet you today, Davis. Nice to meet you. I'm glad to be here, actually. (laughs) We were talking just before we did this interview that uh, you listened to the podcast. So um, 
are you familiar with the kind of things that we talk about? Yeah, actually, well, I mean, I haven't listened to everything because I started after you guys have been doing this for like a year. So I've been trying to catch up. Uh, I, last time I listened to something live like this was uh, was the JAL conference. Uh, I was listening to that. It's pretty cool. I like it. So you're presenting here today. What 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 is the uh, elevator pitch for your presentation? What are you talking about? And uh, um, what are some of the conclusions that you came to? Okay, well, I mean, I'm just starting my research from like ground zero. Like I've always been interested in, because uh, I can actually um, use Japanese pretty fluently. So it's always been a struggle for me. Which one do I use during instruction? Should I be using Japanese, but then I'm cutting them from English instruction? Or should I be using it, uh, should I be doing my lessons in English and risk them not understanding? So uh, that's like the basis of um, what my research is about. So I'm trying to figure out what is a good balance and it also depends on people too, yeah, so. And the kind of, the outcome of your research in terms of, um, uh, is this for a master's degree, a PhD? Is it for publication, all of the above? Oh, actually, I didn't think about that. Uh, I already have a master's, so uh, actually it's for publication because, uh, well, to be honest, I needed a publication to keep my job, you know. Uh, but it's also something I'm interested in, so it's kind of like two birds uh, with one stone. Um, I'm trying to uh, uh, keep building on this and hopefully have something like useful for everyone in the future. And what would you say is something that is useful that you found that um, uh, teachers could use in their classrooms um, that would make them better in this area? Okay, sorry, I keep forgetting to answer that question. Um, yeah, uh, actually, the, I think the most, uh, the biggest takeaway from like this uh, research that I have here is that just don't be afraid to use Japanese and it's okay if you end up cutting the English parts from, uh, from your students' uh, classroom because I found that most of the students were actually happy that you use Japanese rather, like, they prefer to be able to understand rather than um, English practice. Well, a little something that uh, I'm interested in, because uh, listeners will know that my area of uh, interest is English as a lingua franca. Yeah. And a recent uh, innovation in this in the last five years has been the idea of interlanguaging. Yeah. So do you think that there is a, a space in language classrooms for even more than two languages that students should be encouraged to blend their use of language to what is most convenient at the time? Yeah, actually, um, I guess because I'm here in Japan, I'm always always only thinking about Japanese and English. But uh, yeah, sometimes we do have uh, students from a different culture. And I think it's really important. And I keep telling the students it's a really precious uh, uh, chance to actually get to know a culture other than what you're used to, right? So I think it's really good. So on that final point, as you've just brought up, what did you learn about Japanese culture from your study of the Japanese language? Wow, that's actually a, that's actually a really difficult question. Um, uh, what they learn about Japanese culture, you mean like in the classroom? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, um, students are really silent and they really don't want to interrupt you. I've, I mean, I even said this in Japanese, like my my speech is not the most important in the classroom. You can stop me anytime when you are confused, and nobody does that. So uh, I find that really hard part about the Japanese culture. Yeah. And by encouraging them to embrace this part of their culture and including it in the classroom, has this led to more successful language teaching outcomes? Oh, 
Yeah, you know, I'm just starting out. So actually, I don't know if I'm uh, reaching success. But I mean, a lot of students seem to have no problem in my classroom. I mean, it seems to be very clear. I guess I don't know, maybe because I'm using Japanese, like they are pretty clear about what's going on. And uh, a lot of times they don't have questions. So I think my classes are going pretty smooth. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time today. And I hope your presentation goes very well. Oh, thanks. I'm really nervous about it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much. So you find us here now with uh, Matthew Turner and Matthew Schaefer, uh, who are also um, co-presenters of the Teflonology podcast. So there's kind of a crossover appeal here. Um, and they suggested the best thing that I could do is save some questions for this interview, um, possibly starting with how you gentlemen met. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like we hyped that up. Now, <laughs> How did, so we, we, well, we met, uh, so we used to work together at Rikyo University in Tokyo, and I think we met whilst we were doing our health check. We, we met at the health check, which was a couple <laughs> of months before we actually started uh, working, yeah. And we were, yeah, I, I think we had to give stool samples on that day, didn't we? Yes, yeah. a few samples. <laughs> Those yeah. stool samples. Uh, yeah, amongst other samples, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we, we met each other whilst we were queuing up or sitting, waiting to, to to, to use the make, make those deposits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And since then. Yeah. You know, so so <laughs> right. And so then we have Language Center. Um, and Rob, who's the third uh, but missing currently <laughs> presenter of the podcast, he was also working there. Mm -hmm. He had started a semester before us. But you, you, you guys were friends already. You knew each other yeah. and you had worked yeah. together before. Yeah. 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 Um, but the story. And I think it was pretty soon after, I think it was maybe in our first semester, or certainly in our first year, that um, we started talking about a podcast. I think it started, I mean, my involvement was Rob and I were talking about podcasts that we both listened to. And I think maybe you guys had already floated the idea of yeah, making yeah. our own. Well, we just, we kind of found that we, when we were doing like lesson planning sessions, like we, yeah, we were talking through our plans for our lesson and, in enjoying doing it weirdly and um and it was funny as well we were making jokes and we were like this would we should put this out somewhere we should let people in on this perhaps as well not not that we like the sound of our own voices but we just thought this is pleasurable for us to do and maybe others can can kind of get on board with that as well um and that's how the idea started and then like at where we all where the three of us started so working this was 2004 <coughs> 2004. 2014. 14, sorry. Yeah, 2014. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, we worked with a big group of about 45 <laughs> teachers of varying degrees of interest in the profession, shall we say. Mm. And yeah, there was a kind of a small, <laughs> small group that really liked kind of talking about teaching outside of uh, working hours. Mm. And we were, we were three of them. Um, so we've we yeah we kind of decided to kind of go away and kind of record our own kind of conversations about mm. about ELT. I think yeah, uh, part of it was realizing that we you know we'd finish work and go to the pub or go out for a drink, and we you know talk about movies and music and other things, and then after an hour we were talking about teaching again. Um, and so, but actually that that meant that for the first episode of the podcast we thought we had to recreate that situation. <laughs> so we did actually. Go, you know. I think it was at Rob's house Rob's at the house, time, yeah. but we stopped and, and bought some beers and whiskey, I think, yeah. and just started drinking and then hit the record button. 
And as you can imagine, it was unlistenable. It was a complete disaster. I think first first thing is we hit the button and nobody said anything because we didn't know, you know, what we wanted to say, what we wanted to talk about. Um, we thought it would just sort of recreate the the yeah. bar chats, but it didn't at all. Yeah. It was terrible. I think the computer did us a favour by deleting or lo <laughs> lo losing the files. So that's gone now. Yeah. Gone forever. Well, I would say that uh, one of the um, things that uh, the advice that was given to me by a former colleague when I worked down at Ritzemek on APU was um, is that that's how you know who the teachers are. Like, because they can't stop talking about teaching. Right. Like, you'd, you'd throw in, like, have you seen this recent Netflix special? Or you'd seen this thing. But it, it only takes a few minutes for someone to be like, yeah, and this thing came up in lesson today. Yeah. And, I, and I think that that is, that, that's a really cool market. Um, so at today's um, conference, uh, what are you, are you, are you presenting? Uh, what, yeah. what things are you going to be talking about? And uh, spoiler alert, can you give us yeah. some... Uh, um, ideas of what you're going to be saying. Yeah, but I, was just, I was just going to say, just on what you said there, it, it takes another kind of teacher to want to listen to teachers talking. It's <laughs> <laughs> a whole other type of teacher there, probably. Um, what, what we, so yeah, we did our presentation earlier this morning, and I think it was when people were kind of still arriving. There wasn't many people in the room. <laughs> Fewer on Zoom, I think, as well. Um, um, I guess our, our our research is very kind of focused on us in in the podcast, doing podcasting, um, mm. and using our using our own kind of participation as as one of the like the main sites of research. Mm. I think maybe the starting point was quite a few years ago now. I'm not sure when we wrote the book, but we well we I don't I, I, it was probably another sort of chat in the bar, but we realized we we. we we had no intention of this when we started doing the podcast. It was just a way for us to get together and talk and, and, and also to kind of explore some ideas that we were interested in. But at some point soon after, we realized that this was, it was actually becoming one of the kind of key sites of our professional development. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so then we developed this idea of you know, podcasting as professional development, mm -hmm. um, which is, I think, we, and then we, we wrote a, a not self-published, but a sort of online publisher um, agreed to take it as a as a book project, yeah. and so we wrote that up. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a form, and, and even uh, Thomas Farrell is, has now began talking about reflective practice as, or sorry, podcasting as reflective practice. Yeah. Kind of based on uh, on some of the work we've done as well. He's he's kind of there's some crossover there from our interview with him actually. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, yeah, but, but we're trying to kind of. Um, define or me at least anyway I'm trying to define the genre of because um, it is quite idiosyncratic like podcast talk and it's it's not just talk it's more kind of multimodal than that you know there's um, like you do perhaps there's transcripts mm. there's emails there's listeners mm. so it's not just an audio medium per mm. se but um, yeah it's a lot more kind of multimodal um, but what we are looking at today is um, so we have a new format from 2021 because we were I feel I think we got to kind of a burnout state right mm. where um, we were just kind of struggling to find topics because because our, our format up to 2021 is the three of us each pre prepared a topic mm. to to bring to the table and I think we were getting a bit kind of uh, jaded and tired with that that format so mm. we wanted to um, kind of refresh things and we have a a three-stage format now to our episode, hence why we don't really do that many anymore, because it's quite labour-intensive. But um, yeah, part one, we 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 choose a topic, we kind of share what we know about that topic. 
part two, this is in the same inter, uh, same episode, uh, part two we bring in a guest to kind of join in the conversation with us. But it's kind of like an interview, but it's more like they're kind of commenting on what they heard us talking about previously. And then part three is we go back and kind of review the whole three-step yeah. process. Just three yeah. of us kind of reflect on, on yeah. what happened in, in the first two parts. Yeah, so our, our re so our research today is we're trying to kind of codify some kind of um, some themes in our talk. Mm. Um, so today we, we looked at the destabilization of ideas. Yeah, so I think maybe specifically looking at how our understanding of the topic that we've chosen for that episode how that our understanding develops or doesn't develop as as a result of the, the process that we've gone through. Because we often start with topics that we're not very familiar with. And in that first part that Matt mentioned, it, I think it's quite exploratory, right? We're, we're just kind of talking through our ideas about, you know, th these topics. And, and often, you know, we're wrong and, and we don't really, you know, we're just kind of throwing ideas out there. And I think it's it's meant to be a sort of very kind of vulnerable place where we can just be wrong and, and, and just kind of talk through maybe what we're thinking. But then the expert comes in mm. and they kind of set us straight or, you know, confirm some things that we said and then correct other things. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And so it's and so that what we were looking at today was going through that whole process. You know, did we yeah, our our initial understandings were they destabilized? Do we kind of, you know, realize how wrong we were? Um, are our original opinions confirmed? Um, or have we just kind of, have we just achieved a greater understanding of what that topic was? Yeah. 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 Well, um, thank you for your time today. I think this is a, a conversation that could go on a lot, lot longer. Um, and I hope we have the opportunity to speak again in the future. So we've been speaking with uh, Matthew Schaefer and Matthew Turner from the Teflology podcast. And I hope that there are other presentations that you can enjoy before your six-hour <laughs> journey back <laughs> to Tokyo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today, gentlemen. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Okay, so you find us here now with uh, Brendan Van Dusen, who is from, can I just see your, uh, uh, could you, okay, who is from Nagasaki International University. You have just done your presentation. So for those who were not in attendance, what were you talking about? Um, well, I was talking about an English uh, reading and writing class that I've been teaching for the past few years, and how it changed uh, in response to the corona uh, pandemic. And now that we're back in the classroom, it's not the same as pre-corona. So what effect uh, the past two years of online education has had on my in-person class this past year? Would you say that the pandemic had an entirely negative effect on your classes? Or was there something that... Um, you know, you, you learned from it that is going to be useful in the future. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it didn't have an entirely negative effect at all. Obviously, it was, you know, a terrible situation, but uh, it forced myself and, you know, I'm sure everyone else to rethink how we deliver content to students, um, how we interact with students. Um, and basically, you know, we, we, we did a thing where we, in my class, I was in 2020, I was online in real time. And in 2021, we developed an on-demand curriculum. And then 2022, we're back in the classroom. Um, so again, a lot of the, the techniques that we, we developed over those two pandemic years 
uh, we've brought into the classroom, and I think it's been beneficial, especially since, you know, we're not out of the woods yet, you know. I had a lot of students who missed classes because of getting infected. Um, so, again, you know, we still, we still need some of those um, corona strategies, even though we're in the classroom. And again, I think, you know, if we were to, if I was to continue using some of these strategies, you know, even after corona, if that ever happens, I think it would still be beneficial. Because we do get students who are away for a baseball tournament or some family emergency or even, you know, job hunting or what have you, that I think, you know, it has forced me to reevaluate how I teach, not to get too comfortable and um, to try to keep, you know, finding new ways. From the teaching perspective, I think we've all grown, you know, more comfortable in using these kind of strategies online or using like, learning management systems, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how comfortable, from your perspective, uh, how comfortable have students become with the changeable situation? Do you think they've uh, dealt with it well, or um, were there any problems in your university with ch students adopting these strategies? Well, yeah, certainly it's been a learning process for everybody, students and teachers and other staff members alike. Um, at the beginning, I was a little bit familiar with online stuff. We use Moodle at our school, and I had used Zoom before, and I use a lot of Google Docs, etc. So um, for me, I think the learning curve was perhaps less steep as others, but I think that allowed me to you know, perhaps challenge myself to take on other stuff. Um, but for students, definitely, like, you know, we, our school adopted Zoom accounts, professional education Zoom accounts for our students and staff right at the beginning, which was great. Um, and Moodle also has another uh, built-in online software thing called integration called uh, Big Blue Button. But so we, we, we started that right from the beginning. But again, students were often not familiar with that, so there was a learning curve. So we had to create some materials, just tutorial materials, and just have patience and tolerance and, you know, accept, you know, whatever, you know, uh, snafus come along the way and just try to, you know, have some humility about it. Uh, but definitely, you know, over time, students picked it up really quickly. And, you know, now, nowadays, if I'm in a, I, you know, because every now and then we still have some online stuff that goes on. If I ask students, all right, can you just share your screen? Or, you know, hey, you know, in the chat, I've sent you guys a link and, you know, before, you know, we, we had to, I remember spending an entire class just practicing how to share a screen so that you could do a presentation, you know, in a week or two. You know, or, you know, wait, wait there's a button for a chat? Wait, what? Where's that? Um, and, you know, different platforms have their own, you know, interfaces as well, like Google Meet, Big Blue Button, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, you know. Um, students who go to study abroad, when they do online orientation with a lot of schools overseas, they don't use Zoom for various reasons, but they use Teams a lot. But our students, we don't, they don't use Teams. So again, you get the link and it's how do I log in? How do I turn on this and that? And well, if I could um, ask you on that, particularly when it relates to students and their interactions overseas. Again, the, uh, the corona pandemic was uh, a very difficult time for everybody. But having gone through it and these changes in how they interact with their teachers, do you think that there is a, a, a general uh, improvement in our students' ability to interact internationally because they are more uh, conversant in these online spaces? Well, it's interesting because um, 
I mean, to a certain degree, if you're talking about just technology, like if you sent them a, a link for a, you know an online meeting, yeah, sure, absolutely. But online communication is its own skill that needs to be developed. I mean, we've done it with through text-based stuff where we've done international virtual exchanges with students, and you know you're kind of like in a forum situation, and you know the the quality of communication, the type of communication, the type of you know clarity that's required. You know, um, that is its own skill. And, you know, being online, you know, there's certain conventions, you know, like how to take turns with each other, um, you know, how to pass the, pass the floor to someone else, how to speak clearly and, you know, use the technology in a way that's, you know, beneficial. Um, so, you know, not to talk over each other all the time. Um, you know, so that in, that in itself is its own skill. So I would say just because we've been doing online stuff doesn't necessarily mean that they've picked up all the skills necessary. I think that is its own thing that probably requires a certain amount of training. Mm. Um, but yeah, definitely if you compare to five years ago mm. and you threw people in an online you know, classroom or an online meeting situation, compared to five years ago, students who didn't have this experience, yeah, I'm sure they've, they're probably better. Okay, well, thank you very much, Brennan. And also, I apologize for after your stressful presentation, I've kept you away from your lunch for far too long. So um, let's all, let's go downstairs, get a coffee, and um, continue to mingle. Great, thank you very much for this, for this opportunity. Okay, so you find us now with uh, Sean Tolland from the International University of Kagoshima. Um, thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, could you give us some background to the work that you're going to be speaking about and um, some of the results that you are talking about in the presentation today? So the presentation today, okay, so uh, the presentation today is about the emergency teaching, um, I guess, responses at we did for an academic English, an intensive content-driven academic English course. And as you know, with the pandemic, everyone had to kind of shift gears really quickly. And so we had about a week or so to uh, change uh, like a textbook-based uh, active learning, uh, flip learning kind of course into a virtual one. And so the presentation today just talks about some of the uh, innovations we did. Um, we're teaching, I, I'm working with uh, Tony Cripps on this. Uh, so he was the supervisor of the course and I was one of the instructors. And so I also created the textbooks for the course with a colleague. Um, so we had to kind of shift what we're doing to into a virtual environment. And then so today I'll just talk about how we, we made some explainer videos. We had a, webs a class website, a YouTube channel, um, how we use the learning management system, and also some of the, um, I guess, uh, dissatisfaction that can germinate within a virtual learning environment. So uh, we were teaching first year students, and so a lot of them had studied um, to pass the entrance exams. They were looking forward to joining club activities, meeting people face to face. And then all of a sudden they're taking a intensive course in their bedrooms at home. And so there was a lot of dissatisfaction. Also, as you know, first year students in Japan, I think they take too many courses. And so some of them were taking like 12, 14, 15 courses. And then all of their courses, they were getting way more homework than they 
probably would have normally. And so um, I guess the uh, phrase you probably heard, zoom gloom. And so this was something that uh, we noticed. And then so it's a quarterly system. And so by the time the third quarter hit, we, for instance, we scrapped some of the, we had a multimodal video project. We had some um, intensive uh, writing, academic English writing assignments. So we really revised it and to eliminate some of the uh, time, uh, things that consume time. Also, the course is uh, project-based learning uh, based. And that's, you can still do it in a Zoom environment, but it's obviously much more difficult. So we, instead of using, let's say the video project, we changed it into a e-portfolio project. And then the students would, you know, choose whatever they want uh, weekly. And then they would, uh, you know, talk about it in the Zoom breakout room. Uh, we were meeting twice a week for 90 minutes. And so the students were really getting uh, Zoom fatigue. So we shortened the classes a little bit. The instructor stayed online later. So if anyone wanted to chat, in which they did. Um, and then we made one of the classes. Uh, we gave them work they could do from home. And then the instructors were available online. So, you know, quite often students would pop in, ask a question, and then leave. And so I think that kind of... Um, responded to some of their needs. Also, when things opened up a little more, we had a couple of face-to-face um, -face workshops in the call classroom, the computer-assisted language learning lab. And then, um, you know, they were really grateful for that, and then they could use that going forward. But it was very challenging, especially for first-year students, because they were so disappointed with their, um, you know, and the comments. We did a pre-course uh, survey, course surgery. Uh, now everyone's familiar with Zoom, so probably all your students know what Zoom is about and they know about video conferences uh, systems. But when we did the course at the beginning of the pandemic, um, only about 5% of people who had ever done video, so everything was really new, not only for the instructors, but for students. And one of the things I learned from the pandemic, uh, teaching virtually, is kind of less is more because students um, you know a lot of times I had a rule where if they were in a breakout room they had to turn on their cameras um, but otherwise a lot of times when you're giving instructions the cameras off so I'm pretty sure most students were distracted I know if I do a zoom meeting and my camera's not on I'm gonna be multitasking and you know maybe checking an email or something so I think that happened a lot and then so we tried to um, make it more interactive, uh, cut down on some of the homework and the writing assignments, and I think that really helped. And then the feedback we got at the end is the e-portfolio project got a lot of positive responses, and this is something I've carried over into other courses. And so that's just one of the things. Also, I think the uh, teaching virtually it made most people a better teacher because you had to uh, you you had to come up with new ways to uh, be creative and um, yeah one of the things I think I, I like to do is I made explainer videos so I use some uh, software like Powtoon and you know and just simple things like how they can reduce the size of a PDF um, because my learning management system at the university I was working at 
uh, if they sent in, uh, let's say, um, they sent in an assignment with a lot of pictures or anything, they had to reduce the file size because it was really, at the time, it wasn't so good. So I think the students were kind of forced to improve their technology skills. A lot of people think because Japan's a really technologically advanced society that students are, but in actuality, um, a lot of first-year students are savants with smartphones, but they really don't know how to use, let's say, Office uh, productivity software like Microsoft Word and um, PowerPoint even. And so I think the uh, pandemic really helped to improve a lot of students' uh, technology skills. Well, I, I would I would certainly agree with that, and I uh, think that um, the more that we focus on you know student productivity in a variety yeah. of uh, you know, software options, not just on their smartphones, as you say, um, I think it's going to be helpful for them in uh, in the future that's coming. So, uh, Sean, thank you very much for yeah. your time today. One last point, I think it's the most important thing about teaching with technology is a lot of people you go to conferences and they talk about the latest and greatest software it's going to change every, the learning of students and it's not i think teachers forget uh, or they often put the technology before the pedagogy and i think it's really important whether you're teaching on zoom or you're using technology in the class uh, you really need to think about the technology last the pedagogy is more important how the students are going to learn uh, paper, textbook, chalkboard, they're all tools, just like a smartphone is a tool. So I think a lot of times uh, teachers get caught up with the latest technological device or uh, software and they forget about uh, like teaching. So that's just one thing I learned in the pandemic too, is uh, it's really important to, the pedagogy is vital, not the technology. So thank you. Thank you very much for your time today, Sean, and good luck with the presentation. Thank you. If you'd like to contact the show, the best place to find out about us is our website, lostincitations.com. Here you can learn more about the background to this project and how you can get involved. Our hope is to help academics, educators, and online content producers get in contact with each other. Our email address is lostincitations at gmail.com. We also have Facebook and LinkedIn pages. Please rate and comment on the sites you use to download your podcasts. It helps us reach more potential listeners. But probably the most helpful thing you can do is, if you like our content, recommend it to a friend and let them know what we're trying to do. Thank you very much.